are in this new series called Holy Spirit Come, and looking at who is the Holy Spirit, what does he do, how does he work, um, and how can we be a part of that, how can we be walking with him and growing with him uh, in the Spirit as we follow Christ, and uh, today we want to press into that a little bit more here. So Ephesians 5, 17 through 20 is going to be our primary text where we land on in the end, but I'm going to have lots of scripture on the screen as well for you as we're kind of building up to that this morning. Um, as we talk about hindering the Holy Spirit and what we need to do to, to avoid hindering the Holy Spirit. So, you know, um, Courtney and I, my wife, we have three daughters. And as our daughters are getting older, I'm finding that I'm starting to have um, new and different conversations with them. It's not the same as, it's not like stop stealing each other's toys anymore. Like it's, it's kind of, it's elevating, right? It's, it's a new thing now. And uh, this, this last week we were driving in the car and I was, had Eliana with me, and we were talking, and she said, hey, Dad, next year, uh, when I turn 14, um, can I get a job? I want to start saving up for a car, and so I can have a car and insurance. And, and I was like, what are we talking about right now? Like, I, I, had, I had two equally strong emotions in that moment. One, I was really proud. I was like, all right, great. She's got a plan. She's got some goals in front of her. She's working on it. She's trying to figure out how to get there. She's willing to put the work in. So I was really kind of proud of her in that sense. And then I was equally freaked out that my daughter is now almost old enough to start working and driving and like, what, how is this even possible? And so we started having that conversation about, all right, here's what we need to do and you can find a job, da, 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 saving up, you got to save your money for a car and so that's all great. And then we turn around like the next day and it's like, she wants to go to Starbucks and she wants to order pizza and she wants to get different nails and I'm like, these things are not like the other, right? Like, you're like we got a problem here, you got to we got to have another conversation about spending is a hindrance to saving, right? If you're going to save money, you can't be spending money on all this other stuff. Hopefully, we've all learned that. Hopefully, you learned that before you got to adulthood. If not, usually things start pretty rocky, okay? Um, but we have, to, we have to learn how to rid ourselves of that hindrance in order to reach that goal. The same thing is true in our Christian lives. Our goal is to be like Christ, our goal is to be growing in Christ's likeness, to be walking with the Spirit, right? That's what a disciple does. But there are some other things that we can do that hinder our ability to follow Christ and to grow in Christ and to walk like Christ. There's ways that we can hinder the Holy Spirit and His work in us that's changing us into all those things. And so we need to be aware of those and what Scripture says about them so that we can avoid hindering that, and we can continue to grow in our lives with Christ. So that's the big question before you this morning. Are you hindering the Holy Spirit? In your life, in your heart, are you hindering the Holy Spirit? We're going to look at several ways that we see that laid out in Scripture. So the first thing we're going to do, number one, I want to talk to those who might be with us this morning that are still non-believers, okay? I know some of you might be here yet, and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you're still kicking the tires, you're still trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing. Do I believe? Do I not believe? Do I want to do this or not? Like, that's great. I mean, we're glad you're here. This is the best place for you to be, to hear more and to understand and decide if Jesus is for you. So we're glad you're here. And this first section is for you. Because there are ways that as non-believers, whether you are now or whether you were one at one point, we all were at some point, we were all non-believers, there are ways that we hinder the Holy Spirit as non-believers, as those who have not yet put faith in Jesus Christ. And there's three, actually, that show up in Scripture. The first one is this. 
to resist the Holy Spirit. The first way that non-believers hinder the Holy Spirit is to resist the Holy Spirit. This comes from Acts 7, 51. It says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Now this little verse here comes at the end of Stephen's message, his sermon that he's giving to the Jews there in Jerusalem about Jesus. So he's talking here to Israel, to the Jews, to, the, to God's chosen people, the ones who are supposed to be followers of God, followers of Yahweh, and yet he calls them stiff-necked. Now that word, I was trying to like kind of think about like, how do I explain that? Stiff-necked means to resist control, right? To pull against something, to be unyielding. It's like your dog when it's bath time, right? Like they stiffen up their neck and they pull against the leash and they don't want to go and they're trying, to, they're trying to get away. They're trying to not yield to your control or to your will. That's being stiff-necked, right? He calls them stiff-necked and then uncircumcised in heart. See, circumcision was, a, was a, a, a sign that God gave to the Jews. It was an outward sign of their inward faith. It was a reminder to them that, hey, you're the people of God. You, are, you, are, you belong to Yahweh. But here he says that they have uncircumcised hearts. Meaning, yeah, you did the surgery on the outside, but your heart, your heart still isn't for God. You don't actually love him. You don't actually believe in him. You don't actually follow him. You're not really saved, he's telling them. You think you have faith, but you don't have faith. He says, and therefore they resist the Holy Spirit. They refuse to yield to God and truly give their hearts to God because they want to do their own thing. He said, you do this just as your fathers did. We can look back through the history of the Bible, through the history of the Israelites, that these were people that were supposed to love God and love his word and follow him, and God kept sending them prophet after prophet after prophet, and they would reject them and throw them out and do horrible things to them because they didn't want to yield to God's word, and to God's ways. And now Jesus has come, the Messiah is here, God in the flesh, and they still are refusing to yield to the Lord. They're stiff-necked. They're rejecting Jesus, which shows that they actually have false faith. It's in their heads, but it's not in their hearts. They know about God, but they don't actually believe or trust in God. Their faith is merely a religious facade. And that same thing is true for many today. There are lots of people, especially in the United States, they go to church, they might even pray, they believe, in, they believe that God exists, they check some religious boxes, but they don't truly give their hearts to the Lord. They don't yield their lives to God. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's where you're at right now. I'd rather just go through the religious motions than actually give myself to the Lord. That's resisting the Holy Spirit. So resist is the first hindrance for a non-believer. The second one is to insult the Holy Spirit. This comes from Hebrews 10, 29. He says, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot 
the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged, or some translations say, has insulted the Spirit of grace, the Holy Spirit. He says they, it's the one who has trampled the Son of God. So the picture here, I was trying, I was trying to think of like a word picture. Like imagine like the kids out in the front yard playing football, having fun, but what they don't realize is that while they're playing football, they're trampling mom's flower beds. Right? They're just running over them, right? And why are they doing that? Because they don't care. I mean, mom cares about them, but they, they, they don't mean anything to them, right? And so they're just trampling over them. That's the picture here. That you trample over the Son of God, you disregard him, you dishonor him because you don't care that Jesus died for you. He says you trample the Son of God and you profane the blood of the covenant. Profane means to treat something as if, as if it is unholy. It's not special, not unique. It's common, just like everything or everyone else. This is saying that you're treating the sinless blood of Jesus who sacrificed for your sins, you're treating it as if it's nothing. Again, you don't care. You, you, don't, you don't think it's worthy of your time. You don't think that it can help you or save you. It's unnecessary. I got this. I don't need Jesus. It's very similar. I was thinking about the Old Testament story. Even people maybe who didn't grow up in church, you maybe don't know a lot about the Bible, you've probably heard or you've seen the, the cartoon pictures at least of Noah and the ark, right? Well, the story there is that the world had become so sinful, it was covered in sin, and God said, I'm, I'm going to wipe out all of the sin, but I'm going to save all of those who believe in me. So he told Noah, hey, build an ark, and anybody who believes, let them in the ark and, and preach the gospel. And like Noah told people, like, hey, repent of your sins. And everyone laughed at him and mocked him and rejected God's offer to be saved, except for Noah and his family. That's insulting the Holy Spirit. When God offers us salvation, he offers us a way to be saved from our sin, we're like, nah, I'm good. It says here that it outrages or insults the Holy Spirit because, see, the Holy Spirit, his whole job, his whole purpose is to reveal Jesus Christ to us so that we can receive him and be saved. And when he reveals Christ to us and we still respond with a, nah, I'm good, and reject that, we're insulting the work of the Holy Spirit. And the writer of Hebrews says, how much worse punishment do you think that will receive? Because you see, when you insult the Holy Spirit, when you reject his offer of salvation, you're setting yourself on a course for the worst punishment that you can receive, which is separation from God for all of eternity in suffering in hell. So we can resist the Holy Spirit, you can insult the Holy Spirit, and then the third level, really it's, it's the worst level, of hindering the Holy Spirit as a non-believer is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. This comes in Matthew 12, 31 through 32. It says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, before we dive into this, I think we need to define that word blasphemy. I think it gets used out of context sometimes, and it kind of gets used in common culture in, in ways that it doesn't really fit what we're talking about here. Blasphemy is defined as being defiantly irreverent. 
defiantly irreverent, meaning to speak with contempt about God, to to mock God, to, to speak reproach on his character and on his work, to say that God's not really God, to try to take away his divinity. In our common culture today, we might say like, it's like disrespecting someone. Right? Like, that's, like, that's like one of the worst things that you can do to a guy, to a man, right? is, is like disrespect them. Like in the, at school, on the court, in the workplace, right? even in traffic. Right? If somebody feels disrespected, man, they're ready to go to blows. Right? That's, that's, what, that's a, the picture. Like you're disrespecting the God of the universe when you blaspheme. But notice he says, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. Jesus just said, every rebellion, every disobedience, every defiance, every disrespect of God can be forgiven. That is a wild statement. Think about that for a minute. The God of the universe said that every time you disrespect me, I'll forgive that. How is that possible? Only through the gospel of grace. Only because God looks down on us in our rebellion, in our sinfulness, in our disrespect of him, and he says, you deserve hell, you deserve my wrath, you deserve punishment, but I love you enough, I'm going to give you an option. I'm going to give you a way out. And he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth to be born as a human to live a perfect and sinless life, and then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. Jesus willingly chose to sacrifice his perfect, sinless life to pay our sin debt, to take the punishment and the death that we deserve. And he went to the cross and he died our death and he went into the grave and three days later he rose back to life, proving that he was God and saying, hey, if you will turn from your sin, if you'll turn from your rebellion and your blasphemy, and if you'll believe in me, I'll forgive you all of it. I'll forgive all of it. And you'll be clean. And you can have a relationship with God. That is wild. But it's true. He says, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but, notice this, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What's up with that? Like, if you've been in church at all, if you've been in church for any length of time at all, you've probably heard some pastor like this one be like, God will forgive you of every sin you've ever committed, no matter what it is, no matter what you do, God will forgive you. Who's heard that? Right? But Jesus says, except this one. There's one, there's one that you can't be forgiven for. He says, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, the context here is super important, right? Just prior to this verse, Jesus has just healed this demon-oppressed man. This guy who was controlled by a demonic spirit, Jesus cast the spirit out and freed him from this evil spirit. And the people all around are watching this and they're like, wow, man, we've never seen anything like this. Like, maybe, maybe this is the son of David. Maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is God in the flesh doing this miraculous healing. So they're ready to believe. But then the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, the one who knew the Bible better than anybody, the ones who should have known exactly who Jesus was, they say, no, 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 he's not not the Messiah. He's not God. 
he's doing this by the power of Beelzebul, which was another name for Satan. They just said, no, 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 he's not God. He's the devil. They just took the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God, the conviction of God, and the power of God, and they called what was good evil. And they tried to manipulate the people and lie about what God was doing in order to control them, to keep their power, to keep their greed, to keep their position, because they didn't want to bow down to King Jesus, because that might mean that they aren't on the throne anymore. And now, they didn't just reject the gospel. They didn't just reject Jesus. They blasphemed the work of the Holy Spirit and called what was good evil. This was a purposeful, manipulative rejection of God. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says this will not be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. In other words, this right here, this is the only unpardonable sin. Maybe you've heard that term before, the unpardonable sin. And lots of people have lots of different opinions on what that sin is. The Bible says it's right here. This is the only one. The only one you cannot be forgiven for is when you reject the call and the testimony of the Holy Spirit and call what God says is good and right and saving grace, you call it an evil work that you reject so you can hold on to your sin. And when you think about these three hindrances of the Holy Spirit for non-believers, they're kind of like levels of intent. Very similar to like the way that we deal with murder in our legal system. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like there's different levels of intent when it comes to murder. You have first manslaughter is the first one, right? Like car accident or something happens and somebody dies. There is a murder that happens. They die, but it's, to- it's completely unintentional. Nobody tried to do that. It was a complete accident, but someone still died in the process, right? That's like resisting the Holy Spirit. Resisting the Holy Spirit is oftentimes unintentional. We're just so caught up in our own pride and our own sin that we just, we are, we're just blind to our need for the Holy Spirit and for Jesus. And so we resist him, we refuse to yield to him because we can't see it. Right? It's not intentional, but it's still a rejection of Jesus because we won't yield to the Spirit. The second level of murder is murder of passion, right? or a crime of passion. You may have heard that before. This is where, again, it's not necessarily intentional. Like, I didn't plan to do it, but something happened in the process, and you said something, or you did something, and I just reacted in the moment. And in that moment of reaction, I killed someone. Right? And so it's, it's, a, it's, it's out of passion. It's out of the moment. It's reactionary. That's like insulting the Holy Spirit. Again, and oftentimes it's not intentional. I don't plan to do it. It's not something that I'm, I'm seeking to do, but out of my ignorance, I react to the conviction of the Holy Spirit with aggression. I feel that conviction come upon me, and instead of seeing my sin for what it is and responding to the Holy Spirit in repentance, I push back and say, no, I don't want that, and I trample over the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I reject that offer of salvation because I'm ignorant to how much I need to be saved from my sin. 
And then that third level is premeditated, right? Premeditated, more like, I planned this. It's an intentional, malicious attack. I planned it out, and I made it happen because this is what I wanted to do. That is a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's knowingly and willfully rejecting salvation. It's, it's seeing the gospel clearly for what it is, understanding it, and yet still choosing to reject it because of my pride, because of my greed, because of my need for power and control, that I would rather hold on to my sin and stay where I'm at than give in to God. It is a full rejection and denial of the gospel and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now some of you in the room right now, you are, you're still in this spot. You're still an unbeliever. You haven't put your faith in Jesus yet. And if that's you, you are currently in one of these three states. You're living in one of these three hindrances. I don't know which one. That's between you and the Lord. That's, that's your heart and God's heart. But if you have not yet received salvation, God is calling you. And if you haven't yet received that, it's because in some way you're hindering the work of the Holy Spirit in your life in one of these three areas. And the question I get most often on this topic is, well, Mike, how do I know if I've done the third one? How do I know if I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, if I've crossed that line and I can no longer be forgiven? How do I know if that ship has already sailed for me? Well, first of all, only God knows for sure. So just hear that. But I'll say it like this. If you go through life and you no longer hear the voice of the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin or calling you in any way, then that probably means God has already stopped calling you and he's left you to your darkened heart. Because he's called you and you keep rejecting and rejecting and rejecting and there comes a point where he says, okay, that's it. But here's the great thing. If you're still asking that question, if you're still asking, is it too late for me? Guess what? It's not. Because that means the Holy Spirit is still working. That he's still, there's still something inside of you that says, do I have a chance? Is there still hope? Can I still be saved? If there's, something, if there's anything inside of you that still has that desire and is still being pulled towards that, that's the Holy Spirit working in your life and it's not too late. And you can be saved you'll repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. Are you hindering the Holy Spirit and missing salvation? If you're a non-believer, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, how are you hindering the Holy Spirit and missing salvation today? God's calling you. So that's for non-believers Point number two, I want to talk to believers. Because even those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we can also still hinder the Holy Spirit, right? And so, how believers hinder the Holy Spirit? There's also three ways that we see in Scripture. Number one is to lie to the Spirit. Lie to the Holy Spirit. Look at Isaiah 29, 13. It says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. So he says, they draw near to me with their lips, 
and with their mouth, they're giving lip service to God. They're, they're talking about a good talk. They're pretending to have faith, but they're actually lying because that's not the true intent of their heart. He says they talk, about, they talk a big game. They, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They don't really love God. They're just putting on a show. They're hypocrites and liars. He says they believe commandments taught by men. In other words, they're doing all this to to prove themselves and to to have good faith with other people, but they're not really doing this because they love or want to follow God. It's about pleasing men rather than pleasing the Lord. A great example of this is in Acts chapter 5. We have this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And they're a part of that early church there in Acts. And so we don't know for sure if they were believers, but it seems like they are because they're part of that early church and they're, they're in the mix. But they, they have this piece of property and they go and they sell it on their own accord. Nobody, nobody made them do it. They just decided to sell it. And they said, we're going to give all the money from the sale. We're going to give all the money to God. But they didn't give all the money to God. They gave part of the money to God. But they said they gave all the money to God. And they lied to the Lord, and they lied to the apostles, and God struck them dead in that moment. And it says that great fear came upon the whole church because God wanted his church to know that lying to the Spirit is a big deal. Having one thing in my heart and a different thing in my lips and on the outside, God doesn't do that. He doesn't allow that in his people. He doesn't allow that in his church. Lying to the Spirit, lying and putting on a facade for other people, it hinders the work of God in your life. It hinders the work of God in your family. It hinders the work of God in your church. Because he can't use a vessel that's lying about the true state of their heart. That's the first one. Second is to grieve the Holy Spirit. This comes from Ephesians 4, 30 through 31. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now, it's interesting where he uses the word grieve here, or grief, because we know about grief, right? Grief is an emotion, it's a feeling that we have as humans, which tells us here that the Holy Spirit is a person. Right? He's not a thing. He's not some abstract spiritual energy moving through the, through the world. He's a person because he has emotions. He has feelings just like we do. And he can experience grief. He can experience sorrow and pain and sadness just like we do. And it says here that he's grieved when we continue in our sin. That's verse 31, right? He lists it off. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. The list could go on. He just kind of gives us a subset here. Because anytime we continue walking in sin, walking in the flesh, rather than walking in the Spirit, that that grieves Him. It hurts Him. It hurts the relationship that we have with Him. And it hinders that until we repent and He restores us back. Many of us have experienced this um, Personally, when, like when we sin against someone that we love. You ever had this experience right, where you, not purposely maybe, but you sin against someone that you love, and there's consequences to that sin, and those consequences hurt, but what hurts even more 
is seeing how much you hurt them with your sin. And you're grieved by that. And you're hurt because you see their pain because of your sin. I remember when we were first married, my sin of lust and illicit materials came out and it hurt. There were some consequences from that that I had to deal with and it hurt to walk through those consequences. But what hurt even more, what grieved me even more was seeing how much my sin hurt my wife. How much pain she had to walk through because of what I had done. It grieved me. When we sin, when we walk in the flesh, when we keep going in our sin, although we've been saved, the Holy Spirit is grieved by that. He feels pain and sorrow because he wants to deliver us. He wants to give us new life. He wants to give us a new heart. He wants us to walk with him, and we just keep walking the opposite direction in the flesh. And it hinders his work in our lives. And it stunts our ability to follow Jesus. So we can resist the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, we can lie to the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, number three, quench the Holy Spirit. This comes from 1 Thessalonians 5.19, which simply says, do not quench the Spirit. All right? Very simple statement, but it doesn't give us a lot of detail. The, the word quench there in the original language is like putting out a fire. We had, a, we had a birthday party at our house Friday night, and we had the, you know, the fire pit set up on the front uh, driveway there. And at the end of the night, there was still, like, there was still smoldering a little bit. There was still a little bit of fire going on, and it's time to go to bed. So I went inside, got a pitcher of water, and I just doused that baby, right? And you hear the, pshhh. That's like the greatest noise. Like, when you put the fire out, and like, pshhh. Quench. That's quenching the fire. Putting it out. Taking away its power. Taking away its ability to do what it's supposed to do. He says you quench the Holy Spirit. You tamp down its power in your life. He says don't do that. And to understand how we do that or how not to do that, we have to look again at the context of where this verse is at. It comes in this long line here in this verse 12 through 22. Paul gives this long list of commands on how we as believers should be following the will of God. He says, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. He gives this big long list of how to follow God's will for our lives. And then he says this in verse 18. He says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He says, do these things. This is God's will for you. And then he says, right on the heels of that, do not quench the Spirit. Implying, if you don't follow God's will, if you don't obey God's commands, if you don't follow his word, you will quench the Spirit. And we know that because, again, he keeps going in verse 21 and 22. He says, test everything according to God's word. Everything in your life, every decision, every uh, every place you go, every action you do, every word you say, every thought you have, test it against God's word, he says. And then hold fast what is good and abstain from what is evil. That's how we follow God's will for our lives. It's all right here. It's in the Word. We have to know it, and then we have to do it in order to not quench the Spirit and His work in our lives. As we walk in the Word, we will be filled with this Holy Spirit, and we will experience His power rather than quench His power. 
you know, if you look around today, it seems like most of the, like, really successful, really sought after, like, weight loss and workout programs, they all have some type, some, type, some kind of, like, group dynamic to them, right? Because there's something powerful about when you get together with other people to do that. If you're trying to work out on your own or eat better on your own, and it's just you, like, it's way too easy to cheat the program, right? And just kind of cut the corner and fall off and not do the thing, because it's just you. And a lot of us don't have enough self-discipline and a lot of, enough, you know, like, just to, just to do it on our own. But if we get into a group where we're committed and we're showing up, then there's, there's accountability there, there's, there's discipline that comes from the same time every week with the same people, there's motivation because we're all doing it together and we're encouraging one another, and if people come in, they're honest about, like, yeah, I struggled this week, I ate that thing, or I did this thing, I didn't work out this day. And then everybody's doing it together. It brings more power. And it helps us stay on that and not fall off on the side when we, make a, when we fail, when we don't get there all of a sudden. And we're assured that, hey, I'm not the only one struggling with this, right? Like, I'm, not, I'm not the only one who, who struggles to get this done. Other people can relate to that. The same thing, the exact same thing is true for our Christian lives. If we're trying to do all of it on our own, if we're trying to follow the book and pray and do all the stuff just us by ourselves, most of us are not strong enough, we're not disciplined enough, we're not able to do that. We need other believers around us, walking with us side by side, that are encouraging us, that are holding us accountable to what we're supposed to be doing or not be doing. That, that want to pray for us and love on us and that are going through the same stuff that we're going through, that we're not the only ones. And this is exactly why you need to be a part of a small group. I know we talk about small groups all the time here at Harvest, and that's very intentional. Because if we're trying to do this on our own, we're going to fail. There's just too many ways that we can easily hinder the Holy Spirit and get blind to that. But when I'm every week meeting with other believers who I trust and love, and they love me and they trust me, and we're sharing our lives together, they can see like, hey, you say this, but you're actually living like this. Your heart doesn't match your head here. Your heart doesn't match your lips, and we need to do something about that. And they can call me out on that. right? Or they can see that repetitive sin in my life that just keeps happening over and over. Like, you're missing out because you keep walking in the same sin. We need to get some repentance here. We need to get you moving back towards the Lord on this. Or they can hold me accountable. Like, hey, did you, were you in the Word this week? Were you praying? Were you doing the things that God's told you to do? Are you walking in His will? I need that. We all need that. Otherwise, these hindrances, man, they will just block us at every turn. But when we're doing it with others and they can help us tear those down, it can fill us again with the Spirit and stop being hindered as we walk. So are you hindering the Holy Spirit and missing out on growing in sanctification? I'm talking to believers now. Are you hindering the Holy Spirit in your life and therefore missing out on growing with Christ, growing in sanctification. I would venture to say that most believers have the Holy Spirit. We all get the Holy Spirit when we get saved, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We're all baptized with the Holy Spirit. We have Him in us. But most believers, they have Him, but if you look at them, you can't see Him. 
You don't see his work in their life. You don't see anything happening. You don't see his power moving because they're hindering the Holy Spirit. And they're just stuck in this spiritual quagmire and nothing's changing. Because either they're going through the motions, not really giving God their heart, they're indulging the flesh and just continuing to walk in that sin and not repenting, or they're ignoring God's word and ignoring God's will and still sitting on the throne of their own life. And if we're doing those things, friends, we will not grow in our walk with Christ because we're hindering the Spirit. His power can't work in our lives when we're hindering the Spirit. So, last point today, how to help instead of hinder the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, this I told you we're going to land here. Look at verse 17. It says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, which, but be filled with the Spirit, which we talked about last week. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So first of all, notice this whole idea is couched around this being filled with the Holy Spirit. Which again, we talked about that last week, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I gave you three steps, right? Confess, ask, yield. That's how you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But even in that we can still be hindering the Holy Spirit. So he gives us some more detail here on how not to hinder the Spirit as we're seeking to be filled. He says, number one, understand what the will of the Lord is. That's what he just told us the same thing back in 1 Thessalonians, right? Know God's word and test everything by it. Know the book and do what it says. Walk in the word and you will be filled with the Spirit rather than quench the Spirit through disobedience. So he says, understand the word of God. Number two, he says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, I know some of y'all, like the whole singing thing, you could like take it or leave it, right? You're like, eh, I'm good. I don't really care for the singing thing. Guess what? God doesn't care. He doesn't care what your preference is. He wants you to worship him from your heart. Regardless of what's coming off your lips. He says, singing and making melody with the Lord with your heart. He says, I don't, I, just want, I don't want just lip service. I don't want you to just talk a good game and to show up and to check the boxes. I want you to worship me. I want you to love me from your heart. That's the whole job of the Holy Spirit, right? It's to glorify Christ, to lift up Jesus. And we're supposed to join him in lifting up Jesus high, lifting high the name of Jesus through worship to join in and give him glory and praise. And if we do that, we'll be filled with the Spirit rather than lie to the Spirit through false worship. So know the word of the Lord, worship from the heart, and then number three, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ rather than sinning against one another out of reverence for myself. That's what we want to do most of the time, right? We have this flesh inside of us that's always telling us, hey, look out for number one, 
right? You just take care of you. You have rights. You don't have to do that. You can do what you want to do. You don't deserve this. You deserve that. And we, kind of, we have this thing inside just always wanting to make it about us. But as followers of Jesus, we have been saved from our sin by his sacrificial blood. He paid the, our debt on the cross. God ransomed us from sin through the blood of Jesus. And so we no longer belong to us. We belong to Jesus. God is in control. He is on the throne. And so therefore, guess what? You have no rights. In Jesus Christ, you have no rights. He is in control. And we follow his commands. And Jesus said there's the two greatest commands. We're what? Love the Lord your God and love others. If we do that, we'll help the Spirit work in our lives rather than hinder the Spirit by making it about me. You see, when we love ourselves and when we demand our rights, we repel the power of the Spirit in our lives. But when we love others and put them first and love God first, we are filled with the Spirit instead of grieving the Spirit in our sinfulness. I help the Spirit move in my life when I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind and when I love others. That's what Jesus said, right? He commanded us Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love others as yourself. If we do that, we won't hinder the Spirit. We will help the Spirit move in power through us. So again, I'll go back to the first question. Are you hindering the Holy Spirit? Better yet, maybe I should ask it this way. How? How are you hindering the Holy Spirit? If you're a non-believer here today, if you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, what is keeping you from taking that step? What is hindering you from believing in Jesus? Is it your pride? Is it your need for control and wanting to be on the throne? Is it just ignorance about your need for a Savior? What is it that's stopping you? What's hindering you? Cast that aside and put your trust in Jesus and let him save you today and give you a whole new life. God offers you this as an act of grace. But you have to receive it. If you're a believer, how are you hindering the Holy Spirit? How is your walk with the Spirit going right now? Like if you had to go like one to ten, scale, how are you doing with walking in the Spirit? How are you hindering his work in your life? Are you seeking him in prayer? Are you spending time in his word and obeying his will? Are you in a small group? Are, are you with other believers who are helping you walk through this and, and grow in Christ rather than hinder? Friends, the reality is this. We are never standing still when it comes to walking with Jesus. We're either helping the Spirit and moving forward, or we're hindering the Spirit and moving backwards. There's no middle. What is it for you? Are you helping 
or hindering the Spirit in your life right now? Let's stand. Heavenly Father,